0: welcome back again it is a red star radio interview and continuing our tour through the mad house that is british public life and more specifically the mad mad machinations of the british ruling class we welcome back again to the show uh today a man who's been chronicling the various uh schemes of the uh the british ruling elite in all their glorious insanity or inglorious insanity welcome back to red star radio mr kit clarenberg hey how's it going It is. uh, Well, as you might have gathered, even from your vantage point in uh, Serbia, it is a rather crazy time in Britain. And so I thought, what better time, what better person to have on than somebody who's been chronicling for Grey Zone UK, um, a lot of the machinations of the British uh, secret state. So welcome back, sir.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, it's been marvellous spectating it from abroad. But I mean, I do <laughs> I do worry about my friend, my friends and family and people I care about. Um, <laughs> but the uh, but
0: yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's a very interesting time, isn't it?
0: Well, yes. Um, if you can float the possibility of the Serbs sending a humanitarian intervention force, we'd be grateful
1: absolutely like i mean i think i mean i think i think the time has come for you know peacekeepers to be on the streets of london and other major cities because i mean quite, i mean quite frankly i don't know what the hell is going on there um but well, <laughs> I, don't, I
0: don't think the british do either no nobody does that's the point um though somebody seems to have convinced the trade union leaders that Keir starmer is the answer which is not a good look um but uh moving then to your uh, your late your latest uh, pieces for the grey zone kit You've written yes. about the uh the plots within plots of the various characters that are attached to the British security services or working freelance for the British security services. You've written a couple of pieces, one dealing with the uh the Kersh Bridge incident, and one dealing with a wider question of like British involvement in training Ukrainian. Uh, Stay behind partisan slash terrorist operations, but I wanted to begin with the Kerch Bridge incident, which, as we, as you will, many of you listening to this will know, is the is the bridge that connects um, what used to be referred to as Russia proper to um, to Crimea, and was bombed at the beginning of uh, beginning of last month. So. Uh, Kit, you uh, wrote extensively about the British plans for sabotage of the bridge that have existed for quite a long time. So what were these plans developed by these characters and like, well, um, how serious were they in their intentions? Well, I mean,
1: I I, know where to begin, really, but I think that, yes, that that ever since I mean, actually long before. Um, the the conflict in Ukraine started there have been this kind of this constellation of you know senior British um, military and intelligence officials who have been um, you know advocating aggressively for a huge build-up um, a huge escalation against Russia effectively you know precipitating World War Three or yes you know, like a, a hot war of some kind um, who operate on the assumption that the uh, you have operated on these assumption for many years, that the, the West is already at war with Russia. It just doesn't know it, but it needs to start acting like it. So, I mean, the kind of the central, the, the spider in the middle of the web here is this individual called Chris Donnelly, who, I mean, we'll, we'll get into him in more detail for later on. But, I mean, he is a you know, longstanding NATO Secretary General advisor. He is influential in, you know, certain, at least certain um, circles within Britain's military and intelligence establishment. He is a British Army intelligence operative within Specialist Group military intelligence which he created. Again, we will get onto this later. But so in April, um, he uh, seemingly at the request of this rather rather shady individual called Audrius Bukovicius, who was a uh, prominent anti-communist activist towards the end of the, the Cold War in Lithuania and served as Lithuania's first defence minister and in more recent years has been involved in, in funnelling arms uh, to Ukraine to fight their, you know, quote-unquote, counter-terrorist operation, you know, targeting s- civilians in Donbass. Um, uh, uh, you know, at Donnelly's request, his long-time, longtime friend, Hugh, Hugh Ward, who was a senior president uh, British uh, military veteran. He sketches very elaborate, wide-ranging um, plans for uh, "quote unquote" audacious operations you know, in and around Crimea, which would which would be carried out by a. You know, wide-ranging sabotage squad who would be fully equipped to yes, like kind of cause mayhem, destroy Russian ships, destroy Kerch bridge, etc. And you know, it 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 seems that this was influential at least within Donnelly's circle. And you know that we we when we are moving further onwards in our most recent report, we documented how um, Donnelly and his band of of merry men are constructing a secret partisan terror army to make that plan a reality. And they, you know, it, it's quite clear that the its details are. so sensitive that even members of his circle aren't fully aware of them so Guy Spindler who was a veteran MI6 operative who was posted in um, Moscow at the end of the Cold War and seems to have been in direct uh, consultation with Yeltsin during the failed KGB coup attempt in August 1991 um, he mentions in a a later email I believe it's uh, in uh, late May he says oh right well I have partial sight of Hugh Ward's plans but you know play me in as you will I mean, this is someone who is in charge of making those plans a reality, and they don't even know what they are fully, which is quite striking. I mean, and so I think that yes, that I mean, critics have been quick to point out that um, oh well, you know, what actually the, the you know what actually happened to Kirchbridge Bridge on October eighth, which was a a you know a, a suicide truck bombing by an unwitting suicide bomber driver, and um, you know, who thought he was ferrying cargo from uh, Odessa to to Crimea via uh, Bulgaria. Um, and um, you know wasn't aware that he was going to be blown up you know, en route, um, which is you know, very very chilling. Um, but yes, that the, you mean yes, people have pointed out that that, you know, that was different to what Hugh would proposed. I mean he said that there should be specialist teams of scuba divers uh, and you know cruise missile strikes um, on the pillars of the bridge. But the, I mean yeah, that's not what happened. But what's rather interesting is that in the hours following the Kerch bridge attack, there was a commemorative postage stamp published by Ukrainian authorities, which lots of Ukrainians systems took grinning selfies in front of um you know in front of a kind of large blown up version of it um that was available for general sale um you know the what it depicted was a scene um exactly like Hugh Ward described with explosions on and around the two the two sets of concrete pillars either side of the main bridge area so I mean was it the case that this was a plan that was adopted and then changed later I mean you know Russia did move um I I mean yes that it, it, effectively Russia was um, uh, sorry, and um, yes, I mean, quite why the plan was changed, we don't know, um, yeah, it might've been because Russia, you know, moved all sorts of defensive missiles to Crimea um, in August, um, or it could be that they just wanted plausible deniability because I mean, in keeping with Nord Stream, another subject I'm sure we'll get into in some detail. I mean, one of the really curious aspects of the bridge bombing was that in the, in the initial hours following it, the Ukrainian officials and supporters were, you know, uh, eagerly celebrating and cheering the act and sneering at Putin because it happened on his birthday, coincidentally. Um, and then subsequent to this, they started backpedaling and saying it was a Russian false flag. So, I mean, yes, there could have been a degree, an attempt to uh, create some distance between, between themselves and what happened, um, particularly given, I, I mean, I, I strongly suspect that the purpose of the bombing was to see if and how Russia would actually react. Um, and you know they responded in you know pretty decisive fashion by launching a, a missile um campaign against uh, ukraine which has not stopped in the in the week since it means that most of the country doesn't have electricity at night and you know people uh, people can't access water and it's, it's prompted even more people to flee the country and um, many of them heading to russia coincidentally and um, so yes i mean it it, it 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 seems fairly clear that you know that events such as you know, the attacks on on russian ships in the in in, in the Black Sea, and yes, maybe even Nord Stream 2, um, this is that blueprint sketch by Hugh Ward coming to life.
0: Well, it certainly seems that the, there was a great deal of prior knowledge um, of the bridge yes. attack, given that, well, you don't get a commemorative stamp ready in about a couple <laughs> of hours, do you? Uh, so no, clearly, yes. this was something that they were ready to claim full responsibility for. Uh, it also seems like they fully expected this to work in terms of completely blowing up the bridge. So there's been speculation that um, the the attack was meant to be much bigger than what actually transpired because it knocked out partially the roadway, but not even all of that. Mm. So it looks like they had in mind some kind of much bigger attack and also that when they started planning this, I have seen some speculation, on ma- admittedly ma- mainly Russian sources, saying that mm. this was meant to be as much part of a bigger Ukrainian successful attack uh, through Kherson region and towards uh, Crimea, fr- with which the um, the the bridge attack was meant to be like a, a the pierce de resistance, so to speak, uh, to create mm. as much panic and mayhem and demoralisation as possible, but that all went wrong or didn't happen and so they were left with like the the truck bombing uh, uh, yeah as, as, a, um, as a as a sort of as their only option i mean what do you make of that
1: yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all i mean i think that yes i mean the i mean ever since the you know the, the quote-unquote counter offensive started in corsin i mean i think that they 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 have had you know um uh what's the word they they they've had kind of you very elaborate, kind of wide-ranging plans to to, to retake, you know, the territory for propaganda value. And I think that the initial, you know, quote-unquote, I mean, they they uh, the Ukrainian forces made, you know, quite quick headway um, through, you know, Russian occupied territory. But the territory wasn't heavily occupied. It was. Um, you know it, it there were it was down to kind of a few hundred uh you know l- largely allied forces guarding these places along with some you know artil- artillery infrastructure they weren't heavily guarded and you know that yeah and i think that perhaps because of those initial early successes um which which did entail it seems you know thousands of ukrainian losses anyway um they were rather high on their own hype and kind of probably around a structured or at least rough timetable thought well we'll do this and we'll do this i mean look i mean what look at what's happening now with you know, a, a major attempt to retake Kirsten, um, we're not getting much information on what's happening. But I mean, it's right before the midterms, you know. I mean, I think there's a, an enormous amount of pressure on Zelensky to um, you know, produce results to keep the or the you know, endless weapon weapon shipments um flowing. Um I mean at a time when uh, you know across Europe and indeed in, increasingly in, in the US itself, there is you know declining support for doing this. And you know, there are people are questioning, well, I mean, you know, if we've got people starving at home, well <laughs> Um, who you know, can't afford the heating? Why are we you know sending all, all these, these killing apparatuses, you know, thousands of miles away with no idea how they're actually um, how they're actually used, um, and with very little to show for it in terms of battlefield success? I mean. You know, yes, it would it would be entirely unsurprising if yes, high on their own hype, they hatched a a series of uh, interconnected actions that they were going to use to sell the uh, the success and prowess of Ukraine's military, and that hasn't seemed to work. I mean, there have been some there have been some videos recently emerge of seemingly all English speaking frontline units just fleeing um, from you know the bombardment, endless bombardment of. Uh, of um, uh, Russian artillery in, in and around and, Um Again, I don't think these people knew what they were dealing with and a bit of more than they could chew.
0: Well, it's a bit different from um, shooting Afghan civilians, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, with, absolutely.
1: The Taliban, with, with air support.
0: Yeah, yeah. The Taliban um, didn't have a, a complex artillery targeting system, air support, and, uh, well, complete air domination. So uh, a lot of the, I mean, if you think about it like these these british military guys like haven't actually fought a major war against a mm. an a advanced industrial country i mean you could yeah, argue yeah. that it's maybe expensive. that maybe argentina maybe um, at least it had an air force um mm. but e- even there like against a country like russia i mean they haven't fought anything like that since world war 2 There's nobody left alive with that kind of experience anymore. I mean, shooting Irish civilians and, um, you know, terrorizing Iraqis isn't the same deal.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's it's probably a fun weekend for these people. I mean, and it's it's, yeah. I mean, we we saw a lot of that where there were mercs who you know went to the front line who had you know extensive experience in in Iraq and Afghanistan who you know fled the country uh, within days of arrival because they were absolutely not prepared for it. I mean, quite how we're now you know nearly nine months into this and they people haven't gotten their heads around the fact that the. You know, the Russian military is powerful. Um, they have you know, an enormous amount of very effective weaponry at their disposal. And indeed, yes, that yeah, you know, they are probably the most experienced um uh, Your know, military in the world right now, in terms of yes, direct combat experience, which you know, Britain and America lack, um, you know, palpably.
0: Yes. Well, that leads us to some of the the individuals in this uh, particular scheme or series of schemes, Kim, yes. which is central to it. Seems to be this character you've already mentioned him by the name Chris Donnelly. So, first of all, you've explained a little bit about him, but who is he, and more specifically, how far back does his involvement in this whole Ukraine crisis go?
1: Okay, so I mean, again, a, a, a brief biography. He he was a yes a a, a, a advisor to successive NATO Secretary Generals, and um, he's long been a kind of key um, uh, a British government defense advisor for some time. He ran something called the Advanced you know, um, Research Group, which was all about looking at kind of twenty first century threats um, to to Britain slash you know the Western quote unquote rules based order. Um, he was you know part of the the uh, the british army soviet study group which was very influential throughout the cold war um he's had his hand in so many wicked dealings we need another podcast too to get to the bottom of it really um but yes i mean he is influential and respected i think that um it, it's difficult to know precisely when his interest in ukraine began but i mean it, it, it quite clearly since you know ever since Maidan, if not before he has been um you know uh attempting to uh, foment uh, World War Three in Donbass and also, you know, hype the threat of of World War Three without, you know, acknowledging his own role um, in, in 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 ramping it up. So essentially, um, it, you know, if following following Donbas. Sorry, following Maidan, uh, you have, he, he has this charity, quote-unquote, called the Institute for Statecraft. Um, numerous Institute for Statecraft operatives were on the ground um, uh, in the wake of the coup, particularly around Odesha um, at the time of the um, you know, notorious uh, you know, Trade Centre massacre. So, I mean, quite what they were up to, I don't know. I mean, some of them were, you know, mercenaries with links to Blackrock, etc. I mean, but I mean, in, 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 in the years since then, um, he and his, uh, his, uh, what would you call them his his, 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 his um his, his accomplices, which includes a, a network he created called Integrity Initiative, which is a, a secret nexus of journalists and academics and think tank pundits and, and and military and intelligence operatives who spread um you know ceaseless black propaganda about Russia but also about China and other kind of designated enemies of the British state including Jeremy Corbyn and Julian Assange. Um, they were very much pushing the idea that the yeah the kind of the conflict in Donbass was part of a wider hybrid war against the west being waged by putin and we need to look at the the lessons of of that you know that that civil conflict to learn what war with russia would be like and he flew high-ranking ukrainian military and intelligence officers to london on on to carry out whirlwind tours of um major british um army installations meeting with 77th brigade which is a psyops um, battalion um, they run, you know, a, a wide variety of, of operations online. We don't really know the full extent of them, um, but we do know that, bizarrely, a, a senior Twitter executive is part of it. Um, and so, yes, the, the I mean... It, 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 very much uh, it, it, in, in, in the lead up to this as well I mean we have numerous um, documents in our possession which show that probably about as far back as summer 2021 he was talking up the threat of um, Russian invasion of Ukraine. I mean whether that was tied in potentially with the fact that he knew that Ukraine uh, was planning a an escalation of shelling against Tottenham, which duly came to pass in early February and has been interpreted in some quarters as a precursor to all-out war, um, we don't know but I mean, quite clearly, he has been wishing this, willingness this, and wanting to be front and centre of this for a very long time.
0: So you mentioned there that he was involved in the setting up of the integrity initiative. So this yes. guy, Donnelly, he's not only involved in the, shall we say, hot war activities in mm. Donbass, he's been he had some involvement with uh, the Maidan and the bloody aftermath, though the extent of that we're not completely clear on. He's also involved in uh, character assassination campaigns and various different opinion manipulation operations in Britain. So mm. this is a guy who's clearly an important figure, isn't he?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I mentioned briefly earlier, specialist group military intelligence. This is the kind of sister organization of 77th Brigade, which... Um, Donnelly also had a role in creating. And, and you know, this is a effectively a secret network of of army reservists. And you know, they work in tech and finance and all sorts of other, um, you know, kind of fairly mundane um uh, uh you know, professions, uh you, you know, one might think. But actually they are secretly helping the the British Army too. I think and I think the exact quote in the, in the in their internal files is, you know, fight um it helped the British Army fight um fight war with modern weapons, which could include Yes, like you know, financial intelligence, which could be damaging one way or another, um, even if just for propaganda purposes. On on you know enemies, and you know quite bizarrely, seventy seventh brigade has a uh, a dedicated relationship with Transparency International, where its cons um, its soldiers to work <laughs> amongst the quote unquote anti-corruption experts who work there. Um, and so yes, that. Um you know SGMI is based on, uh, and this is in their recruitment slides, uh, the kind of the SOE model, which is the special operations executive. This is you know Churchill's um you know ungentlemanly un- un- warfare unit um who were involved in carrying out operations behind enemy lines in World War II, um, you know, in occupied Europe and, and also parts of Asia. And and you know that that kind of ethos um was also applied to the Soviet Union um following the end of World War II, Britain Effectively created and ran the Forest Brothers, which is the you know the Nazi collaborators in in the in the Baltic states who um, uh, you know, you carried out sabotage against um, the Red Army and and uh, you know what they called Soviet occupiers for decades after World War II, The same in Poland, the cursed soldiers, and also the the you know Pan European Operation Gladio, where um, Britain and America um, secretly ran these fascist terror armies who would carry out um, attacks, which were then blamed on the left, and they carried out assassinations in service of creating what they call the strategy of tension, this notion that you're, the, the public is under constant threat and needs to you know, trade their liberty for security. And you know, that it's quite clear that, that, that Donnelly's very taken on this. And one of the very bizarre things um, that I, I mean, when I, when the integrity initiative files leaked in late 2018, one thing that I noticed early on, on their, on their, on their webpage, which has been shut down, they referred to, um, I forget the name now, but it was a, it was a, it was a famed SOE agent who had died, you know, in 1945, I think. Um, and they were named as a fellow on the Institute for Statecraft website. Um, I thought this was rather curious and figured it was spook humor and, you know didn't really think anything more of it um i I started to get very suspicious when they removed this name um a month later they didn't take down anyone else's name just this you know alleged person so i mean whether this was a pseudonym or whether they felt that people would start looking more deeply into their yes their kind of their their secret network structures uh you know um i don't know but it's very it's very it's very very striking and yes that brings us to the modern day where you know according to special operations executive principles um there is um you know the that Donnelly is leading the construction of a secret partisan terror army um, based on this belief that they, they can win the war. I mean, there was a very good book published last year on, which looked at resistance movements in Europe and actually concluded that SOE were a bit crap um, and massively <laughs> over-romanticized by, you know, and, and, you know, it's kind of one of those chicken and egg um, situations whereby, you know, one of the reasons that the SOE model was embraced by London after World War II was because, you know, due to its declining power and its, you know, its military might was virtually non-existent and its, you know, its intelligence services were also kind of in retreat. Um, it, it, you know, this was a cheap way of finding fighting wars abroad, which didn't involve, you know, gunboat diplomacy that Britain couldn't conduct anymore, or large scale invasions. And, you know, in that context, where you are having to resign yourself to, you know, a much reduced status, and you are, you know, uh, pursuing a particular policy as a result, in that context, you kind of have to delude yourself into thinking it's like really successful. Um, you know, that actually, that you know, this is an excellent idea rather than you know something we have to settle for. Um, and so, yes, I mean, ever since you know, I believe there's a, a film directed by Guy Ritchie oh, <laughs> um, coming coming out of about course. yes, yes, um, and I think that's coming out very soon, and 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 it continues to be venerated uh, by you know, historians, I mean, the less kind of indoctrinated historians are, are fairly clear that it actually wasn't very effective. Uh, but yes, that they, I mean, you know, you see this with the, the Mujahideen as well, where, you know, in, in the lead up to the invasion of in, in, in February 24th, um, there were, you know, US officials, including Hillary Clinton, who were making comparisons with the, you know, arming the Mujahideen and how the Ukrainians were going to take down Russia with this, you know, clever insurgency campaign and it's just, you know, I mean, even CIA officials at the time who were in charge of running much you know, operations say that actually, you know, it absolutely didn't result in the fall of the Soviet Union, and it was, it was effectively just a good way of getting more Afghan civilians and, indeed, you know, invading Russians killed. They didn't really achieve very much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, uh, this is something we'll probably get into, but I think that Britain and America, but Britain probably especially, because it remains in a state of total delusion about its power and significance even now, um, when it's you know just completely undeniable. Um, they remain subscribed to failed past models, which are based on, yes, um, you know, delusion and, and self-promotion.
0: Well, yes, it certainly seems to be that um, if the U.S. is the empire of lies to draw upon uh, Putin's uh, line, mm-hmm. then we're the empire of self-deception. We're an <laughs> empire in our own minds. We self-identify as an empire, um, <laughs> though not. <laughs> I think the, the reality is a lot different. Um, so drawing on like what you said there, like the the training of um, Ukrainian ground forces in Britain, mm-hmm. that is openly admitted to now in terms of uh, putting like, I think it was the, the number was 10,000 uh, Ukrainian troops through what a month-long training course in British military facilities who were then shipped back to Ukraine and s- stuck on the front line and usually end up dead within a few uh, weeks. But the yeah. this... Partisan Absolutely. army thing. This is this is still not being talked about. So clearly, somebody in London still thinks that this is something which doesn't shouldn't be openly admitted to. So are they are they afraid of openly admitting to escalation? Do you think?
1: Well, I mean, I you know, since the very start of this of, of, of this, it's been very, very, very clear that there's you know, a large amount of Western um intelligence and military officials on the ground in Ukraine who are directing things. Um, you know, I mean that the French recently admitted that the, you know the, the dozens of you know DGSE, which are their their MI6 or CIA, um, you know, uh, who are operational um in Ukraine. Um and you know, we know that the US is is taking a very hands-on approach both in terms of allegedly um, trying to stop the the black market sale of weapons um, which has been you know a huge problem um, ignored and unacknowledged since the start of this but also that you know they, they are in they are heavily involved in helping the ukrainians target um uh you know you uh Mars and other kind of you know Wunderwaffen we were told would be you know the absolute end of the war and, and, and result in resounding Ukrainian victory, but don't seem to have actually achieved that yet. Um I mean so yes, they, I mean quite clearly it, it, it's kind of undeniable that the, the West is involved. that this is very much a proxy war, that you know, Russia has made clear that it very much views it in these terms. I mean, I think that it, the, the, the difference there, though, the kind, of, the kind of deviation is that if you are, you know, just offering um, military training, that's one thing. Um, if you are providing weapons, that's one thing. Even if you're helping them use those weapons, that's one thing. It gets into a whole different ballgame at least from a kind of, you know, legal or quasi-legal perspective, um, when you are directly involved in shaping specific operations, um, uh, you, know, you know, one-offs like the bridge bombing or the attack on Nord Stream 2, um, or, you know, like, oh yes, um, you know, the attack on, on Russian ships in the Black Sea. It, you know, that is, uh, you know, if there can be a direct line of responsibility drawn between London on some level and indeed the um, a, a, a specific... Uh, uh attack on on you know, Ro- you know russian territory claimed or otherwise um you know it, in it, 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 you can't deny that Britain is a direct belligerent in conflict which they have you know hitherto been claiming they're not and i think that in at least in part that comes from the fact that you know they know that they would actually use against a war against Russia very badly mm. like very badly um i mean you know people point out that um uh, you know, when, when when people talk about you know kind of Russian failure in, in, in this war, I mean, irrespective of you know whether you are you know, pro or anti Putin, I mean, the fact of the matter is is that you know Ukraine has been receiving endless you know billions in armed shipments pretty much every week, um, you know, intelligence on Russian troop movements and and whereabouts and and all sorts of other covert and overt support, and you know it, this has not stopped the Russian war machine particularly at all. I mean, you know, it's made what would have taken potentially a few weeks or months a bit longer. Um, and, you know, <laughs> if you look at the, 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 the sheer scale of, 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 of the extent to which European countries have effectively handed over their entire defensive infrastructure to um, Ukraine, it's really quite extraordinary. Um, I think it was Estonia um, who'd, 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 who'd parceled on 40% of the weapons that they have, like, you know, within the first weeks, weeks of this. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be, you know, it doesn't seem to be um, you know, achieving very much in the scheme of things. And, you know, um, if if Britain was to say being invaded by an army smaller than its own um, and, you know, lose a quarter of its territory, um, despite all of that support against, you know, uh, uh, an enemy country, um, I don't think anyone would be calling that a success for Britain. Um, but but you know we are constantly told that this is this you know courageous David and Goliath battle that, that Ukraine is inevitably going to win um you know despite the the fact that reality mean, reality points to something rather different but i mean i digress i mean i, I think that yes that the britain is afraid of being directly implicated in what's happening i think that's one of the reasons that they were that they were keen to use they are keen to use cutouts um and you know kind of uh elaborately opaque funding um mechanisms to ensure that the direct financing of stuff like this is is hidden i mean um, I mean there's also the fact as well that the you know to, to to admit that you are doing this stuff is is almost I think a kind of an acknowledgement of defeat to a degree. So I mean one of the I mean again we can get, get into this get more detailed course. One of the in very interesting emails is a recent um that we've reported on is it was from October 8th. It was sent by this, this fellow called Aki, who is a you know senior British Army um uh uh, uh, you know, in, in intelligence official, um, and he is a you know a, a kind of very very much wired into to Britain's chief of defence staff, which is you Nick know, Carter, and you know, and uh, he is according to this email he sent to Chris Donnelly on October eighth, um, mere hours after Kirch uh, was was blown up, he said that he would soon be stepping up to the assistant chief of uh, dif- um, defence staff, uh, military strategy, um, and this had not been made public yet. So yes, I mean he was you know, quite clearly a senior, well connected figure. Uh, in, in Britain's uh, uh, military establishment um, you know he refers to having been deep in the maelstrom of crisis work now I mean it, you know it, it quite quite what that's referenced to we can only guess at but I mean quite clearly it does seem that the war is going badly from Britain's perspective and um, maybe it's the fact they feel that they've been you know it's felt that they have um, Entangled themselves to such a high degree they can't get themselves out, I mean, which is often what happens in war. I and mean, It's what Britain found out in, in the First World War. Um, you know, they'll be home by Christmas. Uh, you know, it, 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 it could be the case that they have effectively painted themselves into a corner where they are quite clearly a direct belligerent in this but can't admit it, that they are f- afraid of a Russian retaliation of some kind. And yeah, like, you know, as a result, it's kind of necessary to keep this stuff quiet. Um, or at least you know, kind of off the books, so to speak, um, uh, while they figure out what the hell to do next.
0: Well, that that leads to a, a couple of um, questions from, like, yes. to explore this further. So, like, one of the um, the emails that um, you talk about, and one of the um, the opinions that you say that Donnelly and his crowd have expressed is that Biden's too soft, and that we need to go further, and um, that other otherwise, we we won't win. But as you've said, and as I've been exploring on, like, recent uh, shows I've done about why Britain and the other European countries can't fight the Russians, like, there's there's, the truth is that, like, the industrial base just isn't there in Britain. We um, Even the chief of the defense staff, I think it was back in April, admitted that if we went toe-to-toe with the Russians, um, you know, full-on war, it would last a week they'd run out of ammunition the british army if they could even yes. scratch together enough men and they um, and yes. and and they know these the, the senior generals know that the russians have been if anything under underplaying in ukraine they've been Ooh. not using their full military potential and they they would against us <laughs> you know um yeah. and that they they'd stay they could stick one of their advanced hypersonic missiles just straight into the uh the mod in london and one of the senior generals in in the british army said well we've got no way to guard against it uh there's no way we can guard that the britain that the british government has the ability to guard against uh russian like hypersonic missile attacks on key facilities you could cripple britain very easily in a couple of days if you're the russians so what is it that the um these guys like Donnelly think that they're doing over there is this some sort of Rand corporation like mind game back from like the 60s era that they're they're engaged in here where they think they can somehow game the Russians into thinking that there's going to be like perpetual escalation at the and that the Russians will blink somehow is this the game that they're playing?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think, you know, Donnelly's conception of de-escalating tensions is you know, ramping up tensions to the point of World War III, Um, yes, with with major acts of belligerence. I mean, in March 2014, he aggressively advocated that the Ukrainian, the the kind of post-coup government um, in Ukraine, launch a blitzkrieg against Crimea after it was seized by Russia, you know, surrounding Sevastopol Harbour with mines, destroying Russian fighter jets, which were stationed on the peninsula, and targeting Russian satellites using microwave weapons. I mean, it's all very GoldenEye, it's all very Doctor love but it's not remotely amusing like you know this is very very dangerous i mean you know his assumption is and you see this in a lot of the the kind of quote-unquote thinking papers that he produces and his his uh Um, uh, His uh, confederates do that. They kind of see Russia and Russians as very stupid and actually incredibly weak. They they only think in terms of force and they don't respect anything you know bar strength in their adversaries. So yeah, the idea is that well, hey, if we make clear that we're not going to back down and we're willing to press the nuclear button, um, uh, then you know then 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 that will that will cause Russia in itself to back down. But I mean, we're seeing in real time that this is not happening. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that, uh, yeah, that there's been a a sense of surprise amongst Western military officials that Russia has, well, you know, until now been been fighting with one arm tied behind its back. Like, I think there were some anonymous uh, Pentagon officials quoted in the Washington Post recently who said that they were quote unquote baffled that Russia hadn't targeted civilian infrastructure. And you know what? I mean, you know, when when this um, uh, uh, you know, rocket campaign started, um, I think it was on October 10th. Um, you know, we... It, 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 it. I saw on Twitter there was a very odd kind of cognitive dissonance. I mean, it's not that odd in, in you know, in the context of uh, the Ukraine war, generating a lot of contradictory, um, you know, totally nonsensical cognitive dissonance, heavy um, takes on what's actually happening. Where you know, Ukraine supporters were on the one hand quick to say this is completely irrelevant, and you know, it's all just is an act of you know symbolic desperation for the domestic audience. It's not actually achieving anything, and then on. The other hand saying well the fact that they're targeting electricity infrastructure means just shows that they're fighting a war of genocide um, you know against the Ukrainian citizens I mean you know it's one or the other not both right but I mean I think yeah the, 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 Donnelly is possessed of a you know large number of, of crazy ideas he always has been he is known uh, for you know making predictions that don't come true I have spoken to people who knew Chris Donnelly during immediately after the Cold War and he was you know at the time he was very much a uh, subscriber to, the, to what he called coiled spring theory, which was that effectively, the, um, that Russia was actually removing its troops from Europe in, you know, our post-1989, um, not because it was ceasing to occupy, you know, East Germany and Poland, I mean, all these other kind of Warsaw Pactites, it was just making sure that their troops were in a better position to strike forward. And that there would be that, you know, that actually the end of the Cold War meant the hot war was beginning. Of course, this didn't happen. I mean, this this was a generally a conspiracy theory that was was embraced by the more um, lunatic fringes of the intelligence community in Britain and America. I think you know, Jamie Jesus Angleton, um, you know, longtime CIA counterintelligence guru um, and, uh, you know, um, uh, a if you renowned gardener he um put, uh, was very much a subscriber to um Anatoly Golitsyn's um new lies for old Thesis, which was that actually the the fall of communism was a very secret I'm uh, sorry a very kind of uh you know top secret um uh, Machiavellian deception Whereby um, you know the West would be lulled into a false sense of security, and then the communists and the KGB would take over, exploiting their you know um, lackadaisical attitude. I mean, you know, complete nonsense. But this, you know, and it, it did gain some traction. And so, yes, I mean, you have someone here who. Is um, you know yes a, a history of of appalling um, analysis quote unquote um, you know failed predictions and just the general kind of paranoid mindset um, seeing a Putin KGB plot on, you know um, but lurking behind every university anti-fracking campaign um, <laughs> you know and it's you know it, 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 yet he's still taken seriously which again it may account for why Britain is struggling and flailing so dangerously in, in the war right now and you know I mean I mentioned that that email from Julian. Zaki, um, you know he that, that that email was inviting Chris to become a top level British military advisor. Um, you know, and uh, specifically uh, in terms of you know deterrence and ex- escalation, you know his his quote unquote expertise on these matters is highly sought. And you know uh, Donnelly was very 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 keen to get involved and throw his hat in. Quite how how much that has progressed uh, to date, I don't know. But I mean, it is very dangerous, and it's 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 quite clear from you know his yes I, I mentioned he publishes regular commentaries on the war that the it, it, yes that he he effectively sees Ukraine as just a, a a single theater within Putin's hybrid war against um, against the West, and therefore, you know, let's fight to the last Ukrainian, convincing Putin we're serious. Um, it's you know I mean you know, the 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 victims of this in every country um, have my sympathies. I'm you know, particularly worried that there are, there is muttering now that, that Russia is talking about some kind of retaliation for British involvement in Nord Stream two and the attacks in the, the Black Sea and and um, and Crimea. I mean you know and and you know, as as you say that would be very serious and it's not something that Britain can effectively guard against or retaliate against.
0: Well, I mean I, I would say um just to draw further on that kit the um if if the british government is looking for friends it doesn't have any anymore or many. <laughs> i mean if they think that the americans are actually going to stand up and start a war with the russians on behalf of the british they're sorely mistaken they really are um the if they think that the what the french and the germans are going to come to their aid wrong like yeah. Br- Br- the russians have clearly drawn the correct conclusion that the British government is a basket case and that Britain is getting increasingly isolated. And therefore, if you're going to beat up anybody in the Western alliance, well, it might as well be us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I I genuinely, I I, I think that, that the... I mean, one, one of the things I found very interesting from uh, Liz Truss' very, very, very brief um, spell in number 10 was that she stated very openly um, and was briefing that the U.S. wasn't doing enough to help Ukraine. Now, I mean, number one. Um, what more can you do other than you know flood the country with mercenaries um, billions in weapons uh lead you know you know at least theoretically cri- crippling sanctions against russia um and you know uh, try and bully and, and, and threaten other countries into not trading with with russia i'm not sure what more you could do apart from engaging in a outright hot, hot war Well, crimean
0: um, war too that's what they yes are. the
1: crimean war too or or indeed yes um operation polar bear which was you know the uh, the, the invasion of, of of russia by led by britain in america and you know including many other countries um which sounds like an absolute nightmare against the you know communist um uprising but the i mean you know i i think that the the the, 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 the don Donnelly thinking that that biden is being cowardly and you know is uh is it, it, it is too willing to quote-unquote back down by, you know, indicating that, they're, you know, that this could lead to nuclear war, which is a you know, reasonable, logical, um, you know, conclusion to draw or speculation to make. that yes, that I mean, Britain genuinely thinks, and this is something it has done throughout history, I mean, this was the basis of the, the Cold War, was that the it, it, Britain believes that it, you know, the, the US will always be there to um, haul its chestnuts out of the fire. So to speak, you know that's not the case, and has never been the case, apart from you know every every now and then, you know in a small in a small way, you know Britain is seen as a you know a useful idiot by Washington when it suits its interests. The rest of the time, you know the Americans neither trust nor particularly respect Britain. I mean, you know Joe Biden again was apparently you know on record, or you know or at least kind of. Off record, on record, as saying that Liz Truss was a moron and that his staff shouldn't speak to her or, or you know, give her the time of day. I mean, and yes, he did. He did fly into the UK um, at least at least once while she was prime minister, and they didn't meet, which was you know not not well reported, but extremely embarrassing, and yes, a very. <laughs> A very, you know, um, you know, a- a accurate manifestation of the quote-unquote special special relationship, um, more more honest than usual, I think. So, yes, I mean, I think that, yes, that Britain has probably been going into business for itself in terms of trying to ramp this up, thinking that, well, you know, if we get caught with our trousers down or this kind of spins back on us, then we have you know, the US with its mighty arsenal and, you know, the, the quote-unquote new world, new world on hand to rescue us. And you know, that's not going to happen. Um, and I think, I mean, you know, bearing in mind that, I mean, in the lead up to the war in Ukraine, you know, the US and, and indeed the UK was following its lead was saying, OK, well, you're on your own here. If Russia doesn't invade, um, I suspect that, you know, that same attitude will prevail if there is a major, major attack on Britain. And a lot of people both, you know, within the power structure and the average person on the street will be rather confused that, you know, our, our best friend, you know, that like that who we have, we share a, a language with, and you know, we have this special relationship with actually doesn't give a shit.
0: Well, and and never truly did. It's, all, it's always yes. been about it's always an alliance of convenience for both sides. I mean, the idea that um Britain um is like leading the US around by the nose. Yes. Is is this stupid idea that like some people like in the, the populist circles believe, and it's also what some people in Whitehall believe, I yes. think. Um some okay. of them actually do think that like if they create so quote-unquote facts on the ground that the U.S. will have no choice but to come in and back them up. But that just simply isn't true. I don't think that was even... It was more true in the Cold War because the stakes were higher than they are now in some respects. But I think now, like, I don't think Joe Biden or even like Kamala Harris is going to stick their neck out um, to bail uh, Rishi Sunak out of a mess. And certainly they wouldn't have done it with Liz Truss. So the, the further question to that kit comes from comes like in the form of like well the the Br- the British involvement here like the we it's fairly well established that they had something uh, uh, in the planning stages with regard to the Kerch bridge yes. like the involvement in the Sevastopol harbour attack um, is fairly clear that there was some kind of involvement there the Russians are certainly convinced of it. Um, this the the Nord Stream two attacks. I mean, we've heard from the the leaks coming from supposedly Liz Truss's hacked phone, that she texted Blinken straight after mm. it and said, it's done. Now, so let's let's start with Nord Stream two, because that was even more spectacular. Given what you've seen from the likes of Donnelly, given that the reported leaks of like Truss's texts, what do you reckon to like the 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 level of British involvement there? And also the fact that they, it appeared that Um, uh, The polls had some engagement in this, if we believe um, what Sikorsky, the former MEP and defence minister said. So first of all, let's deal with Nord Stream 2. What do you reckon to the British involvement in that?
1: I mean, I, I, I think that it, I am absolutely certain that that it was one way or another um, British, a um, British concocted and executed. I mean, in respect of Liz Truss's um, hacked phone, we've heard a lot recently in certain circles about her texting Blinken saying it's done. Um, I mean, bearing in mind that her phone was allegedly hacked um, while she was a foreign foreign secretary, and this came out on the campaign trail. Um, not when she was, you know, Prime Minister. Actually, you know, for, for all of you know, a few weeks. Um, the ta- that timeline doesn't stack up. I mean, mm. I do find, I do find, I I'm quite sceptical that they would be so on the nose. I mean, I'm also sceptical that trust would be in the loop at all because you know she's an idiot and I, you know, she's a, a known leaker, um, mm. notorious for it. And you know, and also yes, the, I mean, I I question whether the US would have been party to it. I mean, just as with Kurt Bridge, we saw all of these you know uh neocon lunatics and you know Ukrainian supporters including Sikorsky, who was once part of a uh, American enterprise unit oh no sorry and en- American enterprise is it and en- American enterprise institute um uh, specialist unit that was concerned with um trying to have Belarus designated as a member of the axis of evil um, <laughs> like I-, I kid you not um and is, and is obviously married to Anne Applebaum, who is just you know a lunatic and also part of Integrity Initiative, funnily mm-hmm. enough. But the yes, yeah, so I mean you know, I, 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 you know all of these people rushed to cheer it and you know were saying thank you USA, and then you know it suddenly all of these posts vanished and yes, it's kind of disappeared from public view, and that tells me, despite the fact there have been official investigations, the results of which can't be released for national security reasons. I you know I think that. Uh, it's it's pretty clear that there was state involvement, and I think that yes, that the fact that I mean, you know, the, 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 at the very least in August, the, the, the British uh, Royal Navy was training Ukrainians to use underwater drones, which are equipped with explosives and are you know meant to be used to deactivate mines. In other words, they're exactly the same type of vehicle that was found loitering near Nord Stream Two by the Swedish Navy in 2015, which is a very strange incident that's been largely memory hold until now. Um, the Russians have produced pictures of this um, device, although it still remains unclear, um, you know, uh, which country it originated from. But I mean, if you look at, yeah, Hugh Ward's plans, they make repeated reference to training, training and equipping Ukrainians with underwater explosives to take out Russian shipping and attack Russian ports, and also, yeah, and, and you know, it, I, I mean, I would urge your listeners, we have made the. This is called Support for Maritime Raiding Operations. We've made that av- available for you know, download on, on, on our website, the Grazer website, and you are free to you know, report on it and share it um, if, if, if you wish. I mean, yeah, the, the, a lot of it was concerned with carrying out exactly this type of sabotage using specially trained fighters, using specialist equipment. I mean, there's a particularly amazing um, uh, uh, passage in it where it refers to how, well... know what what we need to do is we need to get the ukrainians or this you know this this partisan unit um uh you know um uh, equipment that that can easily um uh uh, be integrated with existing royal navy vessels so ie you know like (laughs) and we need to make sure that you know if and when we deploy directly whether in secret or openly that they can just hitch ride on our you know on our ribs on our you know smaller ships etc so yeah i mean you know quite clearly it was envisaged back in april that there would be a heavy and direct british involvement in in the war um and there is no reference in the documents to um the us or at all i mean i think this is very much you know britain going into business for itself as i said And, you know, it it, it would be entirely unsurprising if if these kind of plans were being circulated around um, amongst people who, you know, like Audrey Bukovicius, who has a history of of shipping arms to uh, the the Ukrainians for use against the civilian population in Donbass. I mean... You know, it, it would be entirely unsurprising if if you know these proposals gave birth to Nord Stream two, and the you know the official Royal Navy training was you know the the cover story, as it were. Um, you know that was the kind of limited hangout of acknowledging that we've been doing this, um, and in reality they were being taught to use these to use these uh, underwater um, um, uh, vessels to blow you know, to to you know blow up Nord Stream two or other Russian targets.
0: So this um puts uh, Britain in the role basically as like the most aggressive um part of the NATO alliance along with of course the the mad dogs in Warsaw and the the yes. yapping dogs in the Baltics. Um and this is this this raises a rather interesting question which is like well what the hell happens to NATO now given that the 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 US even even the Biden administration I don't think is actually up for any of the madder ideas that come out of like U.S. neocon circles, such as putting troops directly into Odessa or yeah. uh, trying or backing up a Polish invasion of Western Ukraine. I don't think, judging from like what I can, what I can see about the amount of forces the U.S. is deploying, I don't think any of that is serious beyond like talk, Um, because I just don't think that the U.S. ruling class wants it. Fundamentally, they they would like to secure an easy win over the Russians, but they're not prepared to risk their own interests with like an all-out war. So this leaves Britain, Poland, the Baltics in some sort of alliance of like crazy fading nations, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean it, what, what's in, what's interesting, I think actually is that the, I mean we've discussed this about you know Operation Surprise with Gwitty and Prince and Richard Dearlove. I mean you know they were very concerned about Britain losing its kind of overly privileged position um, within the Five Eyes as a result of being part of the EU. And I think that the, the, the you know, a core component of that was also being angry that Germany and France were increasingly taking the lead on, um, uh, you know, on you know, dictating the terms of Euro- Europe's integrated defence structure. And so I, I mean, they definitely, you know, built de and Prince and some of their, you know, more barmy um, uh, allies, they had very much had ideas of, you know, that Britain and America, but particularly Britain, supplanting the role of Paris and Berlin, you know, you know, in, in, in that context. I think, at least in the, in the initial portions of the war, it seemed like they were being successful in this because obviously, you know, Schulz and Macron were being pilloried for attempting to you know seek a peaceful path with um with russia and and there was you know and you know the uh the, the you know um, Boris Johnson has streets named after him in Ukraine now um and I you know he's a he's a he's a hero and hero in the Baltics. Um but you know I mean and, and I, I did see some analysts at the time who were you know neocons themselves who were talking in the pages of foreign affairs and all these these other State Department House journals about how yes that you know this is uh, reasserted US hegemony over Europe um, to a greater extent than before, particularly given you know, the other kind of declining, uh, the decline of the German uh, US alliance on, under Merkel slash Trump. Um, you know, it, 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 I think that was you know, very much wishful thinking. I think that now that, you know, that yes, that the, I mean, the US is probably increasingly seeing. Um, the, the Baltics and the, the UK as major liabilities because they are willing to aggressively push for you, you know for, for actions the US is neither willing nor able to conduct and they know I mean you know the, the, there are insane people within the US military industrial complex who probably like to mute Moscow tomorrow I think there are also you know slightly stabler sane ahead who realise. Uh, okay, well, actually, that's probably not a good thing, um, you know. And I think that, they, yeah, they, they, I mean, we saw today, um, or was it yesterday? There was uh, there have been reports in the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post about how, oh, you know, Ukraine is being encouraged behind closed doors to, um, you know, uh, you know, be, be open to negotiations. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago we were told they would be retaking Crimea. Um, you know, I mean, I do think that, that, I mean, people pointed out that this is probably just a PR exercise to make it seem like the Ukrainians are reasonable. I mean, that might be part of it. But also, I do think that there is a, you know, increasingly it's understood that there needs to be a negotiated settlement. This is actually a lot more damaging. And actually, one of the things that this war is doing is, I mean, as it grinds on, is it's actually pushing... Countries within Europe away from both the EU and uh, you know, the EU and all the US. I mean, you know, Schulz is now um, after many months of saying, you know, we will we will die in cold if it means that we, you know, we we don't have to take Russian gas exports. Is now, you know. V- uh you know very much you know uh, banging the drum of negotiated settlement ASAP please uh Macron is doing so as well because you know they they kind of realize that the you know the, the, the full scale of the energy crisis is is it has is nowhere near hitting both the countries and already they are facing you know major economic collapse as a result so it's like actually this you know the, 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 this that initial kind of Muscling in of Britain to an, an America to um, yes uh, the, the you know the, the EU's kind of unified quote unquote um, uh, defence strategy has backfired massively and you see it more and more there are countries including my my adopted home of Serbia where, which are being you know increasingly assertive in terms of saying we are not going to follow these sanctions we are not going to you know, allow a major escalation here um, you know we need to just be you know trying to find a constructive way out of this um, and yeah I mean you know that it, 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 it for all of the talk in in say like April and May of how the Western Lions have never been so united, I mean I can't I can struggle sort to of think of a time it's been more disunited than now.
0: Yes, and uh, it's funny, isn't it? The I mean the 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 cast of characters who've ended up on like uh, opposing sides of this. So like you have a an absolute reactionary like Victor Orbán, um, yes. but who. Uh, appears to have a functioning brain at least he's a clever reactionary if nothing else Uh, realizing that oh shit if we do this then we're screwed Um, if we cut off from russian energy then we're screwed you have but you also have like the polish reactionaries who seem to be completely insane like their their idea of like staging some sort of invasion of old galicia um which could i mean uh, looking at it they could only do that if the us completely backed them up and i don't think the us will do it um uh, but it does raise an interesting question which i I was looking at recently kit and i wanted to get your opinion on this as somebody who's traveled in the area like these the baltic states poland like in many respects like these are nations whom capitalism has been slowly killing for 30 years like the populations are dwindling in the yes. Baltic states, like there's mass migration out of these areas, like everything like the reactionary politicians who've run these places have done has run the whole thing into the ground. And so is it that the only thing that they've got left as like a rallying call is like drumming up memories of the Cold War and using like Putin's Russia as a stand-in for the USSR now? Is, is, is it this a case that these people have failed on everything and like the hysteria is all they've got left?
1: Yeah. And I think that one of the what you know it, it, this isn't this is never acknowledged, but one of the kind of you know amusing boomerangs of EU uh, freedom of movement um, is that it has meant that a lot of kind of younger, more more progressive, um, you know, better educated people have fled these countries, thus gifting them, um, you know, a reactionary, uh, you know, far right governments. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that they are running out of they're running out of things to weaponize in order to you know short up their, their failing rule. I mean, yeah, you look in, you know, say like Lithuania, that they've lost about, I mean, it's a tiny country, they've lost about a million people, um, which, you know, they will never replace um, since 1991 at the very least. I mean, Ukraine has lost tens of millions. Uh, you know, or they are, yes, they, they they're, uh, the, the ability of ruling elites to sell people on ideas which demonstrably don't work, um, yeah, they're running out of mechanisms to do that. I mean, I think that one of the, another kind of boomerang of, um of of the sanctions on Russia is that number one, it means that you know due to you know, Germany, Germany's economy has been much reduced in terms of its size and clout. I mean, they are going to have to end. I mean, they don't have a trade surplus anymore. Like they're going to have to end um, their generous uh, you know uh, contributions to the EU budget, which you know the Baltics and Poland disproportionately benefit from. And then you know that's going to be there's, there'll probably be an upsurge in nationalist rhetoric in Germany about well we we send too much. Of these ungrateful people anyway, and blah, blah, we should cut it even more. And then in turn, um, you know the, the you know reactionary governments in the you know in um in central eastern europe will be able to say well we don't get anything in return and you know like they don't give us any money but they do force gay pride parades on us and all sorts of other things which aren't you know overly popular in in that part of the world and yes i mean in turn will be used as a potential justification for withdrawal or you know um it will at the very least massively increase kind of euro skepticism and unwillingness to accept you know the the, the basic terms of engagement um which which you know most people in my experience in Eastern Europe realize that you know they are not the main beneficiaries of in practice. So yeah, I mean it's going to be certainly very interesting to see what happens in the next kind of five to ten years. I mean, it, 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 I mean the uh, I think that the at least in in certain you know, you know countries in that part of the world, the war in Ukraine has precipitated further. Um, uh, you know, population population decline, because whether people are legitimately scared or people see it as an opportunity, they are, you know, moving to other parts of Europe. Um, and, you know, there are, you know, the, the, to, to a certain extent, um, that loss is being offset by you know, Ukrainian refugees, although I gather that they are you know, increasingly unpopular in Poland. Um, and there are you know uh, there have been protests by nationalist groups against their um against their presence particularly in uh west sorry eastern cities like krakow um so yes i mean it we talk about the law of unintended consequences i think that there's at a very, very different and probably much reduced European Union um, in the next few years. Whether that, whether that space will be filled by NATO, um, we, you know, we don't know, although it definitely seems that the initial push to make the Baltics the kind of front line of the, uh, the military alliance has somewhat, um, they've somewhat backed off a bit.
0: Well, yes, even they aren't willing to um, put themselves in the suicide ring, um, but apparently uh, Finns and Swedes are, so that's all good. Um, yeah, really, yes. Yeah. Um, are, them, are, are the Turks willing to let them know? Pardon?
1: Are the Turks willing to let them know?
0: Well, Erdogan always has his price um, as a as a as a good market trader always does. Um, yes. <laughs> the um, I mean, the, the, the Sweden and the, the Finland thing is even more bizarre, considering that these countries stayed out of NATO all the way through uh, well at least um, yeah both of them stayed out of NATO all the way through the Cold War. Finland stayed neutral all the way through it but apparently like this was this was the thing that pushed them over. I mean it just strikes me that like both Sweden and Finland are both are sort of run have been run for years by these sort of um you know uh, management speak androids and their relative power in terms of their ability to actually steer an independent course has apparently completely vanished so now like you get like Sanamarin saying oh yeah we could have nuclear weapons in finland as if this wouldn't have consequences i mean it's a, it's a truly bizarre uh bizarre fit way to sort of end a successful neutrality policy
1: i mean yeah it was the same with switzerland as well where it's like you know the initial uh, the the you know the the, the, the uh, initial kind of narrative around Switzerland um, sanctioning Russia was that oh this is this historic moment for you know new, neutral Switzerland but then the obvious question of well you know these people happily did business with the Nazis maybe they're not the good guys um, <laughs> you know, so so yeah, it started to surface I mean yes it's all it's it, and I think that again that there is a there is a huge miscalculation. Um, by the leaders of these countries because I, I, you know, in terms of, I think you know, on paper, particularly with a huge amount of propaganda behind it, the proposition of joining NATO can be sold as some kind of dynamic and exciting radical change. Um, you know, are Finns um, uh, or, you know, the, the, the Swedes willing to deal with the very obvious consequences of this? No. And I, I think what's been interesting is then how, you know, there have been politicians in Norway who, for historical reasons have been largely ignored, I think, um, um, in, in um but you know that they've been saying this is complete madness. Like you are you are literally. I mean, despite the fact that Russia has said, you know, well, we you know we don't really care about Finland because you know that they, our border with them is nowhere near Moscow or our major cities, and it's already kind of fortified from our perspective. I, I mean, yeah. So I mean, yeah. That they are they're playing with fire, and you know we are seeing. I mean, I mean to use a kind of regional example in, in the Balkans, um, in Montenegro uh, and Macedonia. They, uh, you know, via a comprehensive campaign of skullduggery, were effectively forced into, the, into NATO by their leaders. Um, you know in montenegro the government published falsified polling research which showed there was overwhelming majority support for joining and that the people didn't want a referendum on it actively um and enthusiastically um, and yeah, the government um you know uh you know, went in despite massive uh, public opposition and huge protests and then you know after 30 years in power the government um fell at the next election because people were so unhappy with what was done um you know in macedonia sorry, now north macedonia the same thing um, you know it was you know people were ambivalent or opposed to it on the whole uh, the government ran ahead with it. There was all sorts of corruption, including the kidnapping of uh, opposition op- politicians, bribery, and and everything to, in order to get this passed. And the kind of pro-Western golden boy who was in charge of, of pursuing this is now out of power. So I mean, I think yes, that these if if these uh, you know ever so popular um, in the West uh, governments um, you know want to push ahead with push ahead with this um, you know they should they should know what they're getting into. And I think that yes, that the you know once the reality of what this means becomes clear and i think that there has been talk by russia of well you know we will ensure that you you have zero of our our energy gets to you um if you know if you go for this um i you know know, once that kind of starts to bite i think people might think twice about whether it's actually you know a really good idea to you know enter a hostile military alliance targeting a country you border which has you know shown that it is willing to use force to prevent um you know, to protect its vital interests one of which is its neighboring countries not joining this um, you know it just it, it just seems to be playing playing with fire to me
0: mm. well speaking then of the uh, nato and the balkans kit let's uh, turn to a fi- final question for today which is un- unconnected but also connected to ukraine which is the question yeah. of kosovo and serbia there's been another um, series of stories coming out recently about um, Serbs withdrawing from the Kosovo governmental institutions, mass resignations of Serb police officers from the Kosovo police force. Um, aside from the um, predictable um, hysteria this kicked off in like certain s- corners of the British media, what is the actual reality of uh, the situation going on right now in Kosovo? And like, what is the what is the attitude of the Serbian government under Vucic?
1: Well, I mean, it's 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 interesting actually because I yes, I mean, all of the kind of the, the anger and hysteria um, that you know uh, you know about this, I've I know uh, you know I, I've only ever encountered it in the Western media. I mean, I'm yet to speak to you know um, um, uh, anyone here who um, seems to have you know overly strong feelings about this. I mean, they see it for what it is, which is that you know this is a basic row about number plates. Um, i mean Vucic made the mistake perhaps in the past of saying that you know if we recognized um kosovo num, num license plates on cars then that would be an effective acknowledgement of kosovan statehood and which he you know kind of rode back on when they said okay we'll go ahead with this i mean you know it, it seems very minor it seems like there's a lot of people who have a stake in stoking violence um uh you know um claiming that this is a problem when it isn't necessarily um and you know it, it i mean the um the majority of the of the the kind of institutions that they've left um, are, you know, pretty toothless. I mean, the police are one thing, but they always operate in, you know, direct... Um, coordination with the Kosovo Albanian police, you know, the other Serb police largely for show. So I mean this is all very, it's all very you know, symbolic. I think that it's a, you know, so, some somewhat futile protest against the, you know, what's probably inevitable. I mean, you know, the, one of the reasons though that I think that there is um you know there is a lack of kind of local anger here is that people um in my experience, Serbs in my experience are very, they're kind of choosing the hill or hills they die on very, very carefully because they Know that if there is a kind of upsurge in, in tension, which you know does get, yeah, you know, that will give an, a window of opportunity to malign external actors to, you know, well, either, uh, you know, um, you know, stage some kind of intervention in, in 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 Serbia, or you know, yes, I mean, as before, declare all-out war against what's called Little Russia, but you know, actually has you know, rather proven over the past year that it's um, absolutely not, you know, a lick spittle of Moscow or Putin. I mean, you know, so for instance, recently there was, um, you know, a, a, a pride parade went ahead in, in Belgrade, which was, um, you know, it, it initially signed, uh, the council approved it, and then there was some pressure from the Orthodox Church, and there was some pressure from some far right groups, and they they decided to cancel it. But then the organizers who are all backed by the US Embassy decided to go, to go along with it anyway. And um, you know, people were angry—not that the parade, the parade was happening, but because you know, yet again, they felt their sovereignty had been kind of, you know, undermined and, and trampled all over. Um, in the wake of it, there was some, there was a degree of unrest. Um, I think that it, you know, it, it was largely just kids who had nothing better to do on a Saturday afternoon, really and it died down very quickly. I mean, had people not been so concerned about the prospect of, um, you know, an outbreak of, uh, you know, Western humanitarian intervention targeting Serbia again, um, I think that the clashes would have been a lot more fiery and bigger. Um, I mean, yes, you know, people are choosing when to get pissed off and, and when to get pissed off publicly. I do think that if they keep getting told that they're a riot state and that, you know, that they have to be punished by, you know, blocking their European Union membership, which no one here Wants anyway. Um, I think it's like eighty percent oppose it or something crazy. Like and, and yeah, that you know that the more they feel that, that people are trampling on them, the more they will dig their heels in and you know say you can't tread on me. Uh, which but you know I mean I think there's 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 a there's a lot of road, road to go there. But it, it, you know the 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 most recent um, yeah the kind of recent flare up of tensions, which is very very minor compared to what's happened in the past. Um, you know it is a very clear demonstration of how absolutely rabid for conflict. Um, you know, supposed experts on the Balkans or Eastern Europe or indeed Russia are, um, and how you know they—they they, you know, even the slightest kind of diplomatic agreement, which doesn't really have much significance—is um, talked up as okay. Well, we're days away from you know all-out war in um, in in Pristina. I mean. You know, it, 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 I, 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 I do think that you know. I mean, I'm sure your listeners don't need to be um, reminded, but the, uh, the, the 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 very obvious question to ask is who is ramping up tensions here? I was in, in Bosnia over the summer. Um, there are large amounts of british and german troops in the street there was a bar which had a sign up saying we don't serve soldiers that was playing yugoslavian music very loudly um i spent quite a bit of time in there uh the, the, you know the the, 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 the the we're constantly told that this is going to be this new theater of war um and that you know russia because it's failing in ukraine will you know seek to open a second front i mean i think that actually that's probably the planning that's going on in London now, and again, it's kind of rather remarkable, or well or certainly notable, that yes, that the US has refused to um, dispatch troops to, to Bosnia and indeed has also um, sought to reaffirm the rather Byzantine political structure um, in the wake of the most recent election. I mean, it clearly knows that there is, you know, that again, there's a potential for serious problems here, and um, actually they're better off without it.
0: Well, yes, it's- I mean, the the unsettled nature of the, uh, or the non-finalized nature of the problems from the 1990s uh, constantly recurs, Kit, and you you mentioned to me, just as a final point here, um, just before we started recording, about, like, the feelings towards, like, old Yugoslavia uh, amongst the population now. Um, like, given that, like, we're now a generation away from, like, the, the breakaway of Slovenia and everything that has occurred since then, like, what is the feelings uh, amongst the population there, uh, as you can gauge it, towards like a Yugoslavia in the past and like what the future might hold in terms of maybe at some point, some version of it coming back again?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, that you know one of the uh, – Julian Assange said something, that um, everything happens first in Serbia. And it's like – the. You know, I think that he was speaking with specific reference to the color revolution, or they call it the bulldozer revolution, which was launched against Milosevic. Yeah. And this was, you know, a um, and and any you know a CIA front, the National Endowment for Democracy operation through and through. It trained activists to engage in direct action, and they called OPPOR. And then this this group subsequently. Um, trained the you know the orange Revol- revolutionaries in Ukraine and they exported their model, you know, you know, all over the world to the former Soviet sphere. Um, and you know, that in Serbia they were told that if you overthrow Milosevic, it will usher in an, a, an era of peace and prosperity, and you know, it will be a land of milk and honey and opportunity and and wealth. And you know, bearing in mind that the, the Yugoslavia had been crushed under Western sanctions in the 90s, where you know, power 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 cuts were you know a nightly occurrence um you know water was often scarce lots of food and other goods were you know hard sometimes hard to come by um you know this was obviously very welcome but they quickly found um you know after they overthrew you know Milosevic and installed the kind of western western supported puppet that actually it wasn't going to be a land of milk and honey it was going to be an extremely uh difficult um, uh, country to live in, um, you know, that they were going to be exploited for their for their labour, that they were going to have to work at subsistence wages, that everything would be privatised and thus more expensive and worse than it had been under socialism. And so, you know, this created an awful lot of, bit of bitterness towards and distrust of claims that you know the EU would be a source of of you know investment and tourism and and and, and good things. Um, you know it has it has placed them in a position of extreme cynicism about yes, like uh, and uh, kind of uh, what's the word anger about about you know what they perceive as foreign meddling and manipulation in their countries. And you know it has brought people now increasingly you know to think that well you know we were better off and more powerful as a multi ethnic multi faith confederation and that is a mindset and a viewpoint that i've encountered elsewhere as well you know in when I was in Bosnia, um, I encountered a lot of people who, kind of, in lieu of being able to say they were Yugos- Yugoslav, they you know, identified as Bosnian, not Bosniak, not Croat, not Serb. Um, you know, there was there was a lot of mixing again between you know people of people of different you know people of different groups. Um, you know, the, the 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 90s is kind of viewed as as a horrible time. I mean, contrary to this notion that you know that the uh, of uh, pure Bo- uh, Bosniak victimhood and Serb genocide and genocide denial, I mean, I mean, all sides are very, I mean, particularly among younger generations, are very open and honest about what happened and the fact that nobody was, you know, everyone had blood on their hands and they just prefer to not think about it and think about a better future. Now, you know, we are seeing again in real time that it is much better to be a large confederated state with, um, you know, uh, with uh, collective uh, bargaining and you know bargaining power, um, one way or another, politically and economically, and diplomatically, than to be a small rump state with a population of about a million and limited resources, which is you know completely defenceless when in the crosshairs of Western imperialism. So I think that actually, even in a formal way, I mean, it, it, it's invited quite a lot of derision. But the West Balkan, uh, the Open Balkan Initiative. Which is grouping the uh, six West Balkan states into a kind of informal union where they have, you know, freedom of movement and, uh, you know, and uh, you know, a kind of all of the trappings of the single kind of, you know, mega state. I mean, that is potentially promising, and it would be, you know. Um, as 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 pro-western, certain countries, particularly Albania, within within that configuration, would be. Um, you know, they have pledged to not be part of the EU or the Eurasian Union. If you know, if the EU won't refuse to take them. So, I mean, you know, we are looking again at a multipolar world emerging, and we are looking at you know a kind of non-aligned movement, which of course was led by Tito um, from Yugoslavia, uh, and remains very much a venerated idea. Um, across this region. And so, yes, I, I certainly wouldn't write that off. And again, I think that in five to 10 years time, Europe's going to look very, very, very different in terms of its power dynamics.
0: Again, Francis Fukuyama taking all kinds of L's um, at yes. the moment. So, <laughs> all right, Kit Clarenberg, uh, investigative journalist and writes for The Grey Zone, amongst other, amongst other places. Kit, where can people best find your writing? And is there anything else you want to mention before we close out?
1: Um, i mean nothing much really i have nothing much to add apart from thanks for having me on um i mean yeah you can find my writing at the slash uh, uk um you can find me on twitter which is just my name um and i also have a substack but yeah my work also appears in Mint press and uh, the cradle both you know independent media outlets very much worthy of your time and support consistently putting out you know superb inve- independent journalism which puts the mainstream to shame um and uh, yeah i think that you know, never it's rarely been a time been more important uh, that we get you know independent uh, you know alternative views on what's happening um you know never you know, never has propaganda been so pervasive but also more blatantly false and more easy to detect and that's why there is a huge war on against um independent media so we need to fight back and we need to fight back together
0: all right well be sure to check out the rest of kit's work and uh thank you for listening <laughs>